Welcome to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is the official podcast of the Breath and the Clay creative arts movement. I'm your host, Stephen Roach, and this is episode one. Today we're going to listen in to a keynote message by author and speaker Troy Bronzing titled The Flywheel of Grace. In this talk, Troy lays out the key elements of God's creative process and how that relates to our own process as artists and creative thinkers. Alongside of being an author and a speaker, Troy is also a pastor and a musician. He is the founder of a new initiative in Cincinnati called The Hive, a center for contemplation, art, and action. Troy authored a book called Drawn In, a creative process for artists, activists, and Jesus followers. I've read this book several times and recommend it for anyone who wants to go deeper in understanding the connections between faith and art. You can find out more information about Troy or about Makers and Mystics at our website, makersandmystics.com. Let's listen to The Flywheel of Grace by Troy Bronzing. At the beginning of the creative process, there's dreaming. So say that with me, dream. Okay? And then you move to a place from dreaming into a place of hovering. Say that with me, hover. Okay, so dream, hover, and then to a place of risking. Risk. Okay, dream, hover, risk, and then to a place of listening to that risk. So listen. I'll say this over and over. You guys are writing notes. This is great, but I'll say it so many times you won't be able to miss it, okay? All right, so we've got dream, hover, listen, and then after you've listened, you reintegrate. So say that with me. We reintegrate. Okay? There's only 15 more of these. You guys are great. So uh, <laughs> there's dream, hover, risk, listen, reintegrate, and by then it's time to rest. So say that with me. Rest. Okay, so here's how this process works, and I want to play with it a little bit in terms of how God does this actual work, okay? So in the beginning, there wasn't nothingness. In the beginning was the Word, the Word with God. There's a relatedness, and Stephen stole this from me last night too. Um, The, uh, uh, bump to that next slide there, and let's see if, uh, um, here is a, um, Rublov's, uh, is considered Trinity at Table, and this is uh, Abraham when he ha- is entertaining the guests. And this is sometimes in Christian um, appropriation of the Old Testament scriptures, kind of a typology of how the, how the different guests that Abraham hosted were Father, Son, and Spirit. But the notion there is that from the beginning of time, before there was anything, the Father and the Son and the Spirit were in this dance of mutual submission. Kind of like a square dance where you're at one point serving and the next point being served. Kind of moving through this. And that type of mutuality is that core love out of which everything is being born. All right, next slide here. Not the same, but an interesting comparison is Buckminster Fuller. How many of y'all know who Buckminster Fuller is? Okay. Yeah, somebody tell me, who, what, do you, what do you know about Buckminster Fuller? The Geodesic Dome. There we go. So that's what's behind him, right? The Epcot Center. All right. He did a number of things, but one of the things he did was coin the phrase design sciences. And what Buckminster Fuller said was up to that point, this would have been uh, like the turn of the century up into the 30s, 40s, um, is uh, engineers and builders and architects were never really cooperated with one another. So you would just go build something because somebody said, I need to build that there. And there wasn't a lot of thought about user experience. So like, you know, now if you have anybody working on 
web work or thinking about products like an iPhone or whatever, you're thinking about user experience. That language wasn't even there before. And this is what Buckminster Fuller said, was, that now it's like, kind of like, duh. But what he said was, imagine um, trying to get people over a river to the other side of that river. He's like, um, you can spend a lot of time trying to persuade them and say, hey, the other side of the river is great. Come on, you can do it. You know, you can kind of train people to kind of get there or whatever. He said, or you can build a bridge, and their natural curiosity is going to be like, oh, okay, I guess I'll walk over that bridge. And before you know it, they're on the other side. So in this same sense, I want us to play with the idea that God, at the beginning of time, in that sense of inter, um, interpenetrating mutuality, the Trinity, and dance with one another, says, let's do more of this. What about a related kingdom where all of these things are in service of one another, where love is the code, right? Like, and, and out of that is this just, just daydreaming, like, what in the— and then at some point in the middle of that, we get the next piece here. Ready, Sam? The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters— Remember that? At the very beginning of, the, of creation story, in the, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over this. Now, the Spirit of God does this all throughout Scripture. It's pretty interesting. The Spirit of God hovered over Moses and the elders, and the Spirit of God later on would hover over a shepherd boy when Samuel would go to ordain David to be the king. And the Spirit of God would come over those dry bones it, when Ezekiel is talking about the possibility of transformation. So the Spirit of God doesn't do this just once. This is kind of God's gig. The dreaming of the expansiveness of love and then the hovering. Okay? All right, next one here. Ben Roberts. Are you in here, Ben? Yeah. All right, so I took a picture of his picture. It's a total hack. You should see Ben's work, which is out here, okay? But I didn't know how to find Ben in time to do this. But I love this notion, and I love this notion, which is that the Spirit is hovering. And there's so many different times where we go out into the world, and in here we experience that halo. But we go out into the world, and our halos are kind of kept in our pockets. And we don't really think. And in fact, there's people that we kind of go, well, the halo definitely wouldn't be on them. I'm going to withhold my halo here. But the Spirit of God doesn't withhold like that. The Spirit of God hovers. just stays over this, Right? Okay, so then what happens? We move from dreaming to hovering to risking. All right, here. So imagine this moment. Before there was anything, and then there was a formless void thing, and then there was this hovering, and God said, let there be light. Like, nobody had had light before. God hadn't had light before. It had all been here, and there was this huge risk of going, I'm going to write a song, but I don't write songs. So, like, John Mark's going to work with you later on, on, on one of these things, and, like, the thought that, like, it, there's all these techniques, but when it comes down to it, you just have to show up every morning and write a song. You just have to, and it's out of nothing, and you just write it, and then there's a song. But it's incredibly embarrassing, and it's awkward, and God didn't know what that would be, but had incredible courage and and said, let there be light. 
And then at each point, you can almost read it with this just incredible curiosity and freedom of a child, which Stephen was talking about last night again with with, uh, creativity. There's like this, almost like pulling taffy. At each point of creation, God goes, well, and then out of that, what if we do this? And then what if we do this? And it kind of keeps pulling it it because it's like, uh, because none of that had been there before. And at each point is this kind of risk, like, what if we do, ooh, you know. And what's interesting, though, if you look then through the story of God's people given to us in Hebrew scriptures and Christian scriptures and in our friends and other, uh, as we've heard the Christian tradition given to us, you recognize times where um, God took a risk and, well, ooh, I'm going to redirect. I mean, you read the flood story, and there's this sense where God's going, I had a, I had a regret. I took a risk, but I'm still learning here. I'm going to do it this way now. And there's this shift, right? And so there's always this, this risk, what will that look like in God's incredible courage? I think some of the best examples of this are then the incarnation. So you have Jesus coming into flesh, and Jesus didn't know the alphabet when he was born. He had to learn the alphabet, and he wrote it wrong plenty of times before he wrote it right. He didn't know how to be a carpenter until he apprenticed with his father, but he learned it after hitting his thumb a number of times. He didn't, he didn't know what it was like to go in, back into his village and read these um, prophetic sayings from Isaiah and say, I'm in the midst of this. And when he did, people wanted to run him out of town. And then he'd go to towns to, to, to do miraculous work, and it wouldn't take sometimes. Could have been the best, like you could have written the best song in the world, but it was the wrong time for that song. And you took the risk, and it just, that's just it. So Jesus has towns like this. He goes in, it's like, this was the wrong time for this town. Jesus says this, right? So the risk, we think, oh, we're going to get it wrong. If only I had enough God, I'll get it right. Well, God also takes risks, not knowing what's on the other side of it, because you bank on that process. And that's what we're going to keep kind of going through here. So you begin with this dreaming. You go to a place where you hover and focus on something. And then you go to a place where you're taking that risk. But then here's what happens after the risk. Let's go here. Okay, this is actually an a, a, um, artwork from a friend of mine, Fred Wise, and uh, I, I went to his studio in, Deca- in Decatur, Georgia one day, and uh, typical artist studio, like you've got CDs and posters and um, uh, all sorts of stuff, like it's just everywhere, and like half-finished things here and that whatever, and he was beginning this piece, and there were these pieces that were kind of moved together, and, um, and I was like, what are you making, Fred? And he goes, uh, I don't know yet. <laughs> I never thought Fred was, like, incompetent as an artist because he was making this and didn't know what it is. So just for a moment, is it possible that God knows what he's in the process of making and yet is free enough to relate to something as an other and go, I don't know how this will play out because I'm freely related to you as an other. You're free to be you. I'm watching to see how this goes. I'll remain here, but I don't know. I can see some of your heads going like, oh my gosh, he just went there. (laughs) So what happens when that relatedness is a free, like a comfortability about that space between us? That God has this comfortability about the space between God's self and creation. Unanxious about the relationship with the things that he's creating, with you and me, to such a way that gives us the freedom to discover who we are in him, the satisfaction of that curiosity coming to life. Oh, that's a Troy. I, yeah, wow. 
Or, oh, that's a Troy. <laughs> Isn't that kind of cute? Right? You know, like, there, so there's all, all of that is kind of uncovering there. So then here's what happens next as we move into a place of listening. One of the best uh, um, explanations I've heard on prayer in the, in the past couple of years is uh, um, a teacher who told me one time, um, Troy, the, the answer to prayer is the Holy Spirit. The answer to every prayer is the Holy Spirit. So this, is a, this was a weird thing to hear because a lot of times we have prayers where we know what the answer is. It's multiple choice. And, uh, and God just kind of pushes the paper back to us and says, I'm present. And it's like, well, which one of these? Yeah, I'm just, I'm here with you. I'm present. It's kind of a listening. So there's this mutuality that takes place. Let's go to this next slide here, Sam. There is a story of Dan Rather going into Calcutta to interview uh, Mother Teresa. Um, and uh, the, uh, basically he goes into her, ta- you, you heard of Mother Teresa? I'm just kidding. Okay, so he goes into Calcutta, right? And he's walking through and he's seeing the hospitals and seeing the, um, the shoes and the number of things that they're doing. And then he sits down with her and he says, he says uh, okay, Mother Teresa, um, when you pray, there's a lot of people that want to kind of know this. When you pray, what do you say? And, uh, you know, she's kind of coy, and uh, I, I don't say anything. Okay, so Dan Rather's got to get a better interview answer than that. So then he goes, then he goes well, uh, well, what does God say? And she goes, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. All right, cut to a commercial. Like, you know, it's like, what do you do with it? But you can just imagine this space, the unforced space. Jesus would describe it this way in Matthew 11. I really like the, the message translate, or paraphrase on this. is, Are you tired and worn out and burn out on religion? Come to me. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It's that unforced space. It's in that space that you're just listening all right, let's keep going here. And then there's a freedom to reintegrate. Now, this is really interesting. If you look in the, there's one kind of peripheral reading of the, of the Christian story that begins with Adam and ends with Revelation, and it's one straight line of the same people and a couple of their buddies and the same people and a couple of their buddies. But if you really start to look at it, you recognize that Ruth the Moabite becomes part of this story in a really weird way. In Rahab, the prostitute from Cana, or from uh, Jericho, right, becomes part of the story in a certain way, and you start realizing all these different people are kind of grafted in, and, and it's like you keep kind of putting these parts until this point when Peter, right, is up on the, on the housetop, and he has this vision of all of the places where God is working and all of the halos are, and then drops this sheet full of unhaloed things, and uh, unhallowed things, unsacred things, and God says, uh, yeah, take a bite. And he's like, no, 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 are you kidding me? And, uh, but the crazy part wasn't just that they could eat meat then. It was that somebody else, somebody was having a vision that said, go meet this guy that's on the roof who's getting his mind blown right now. And Cornelius and the others, right, come, and suddenly the story of the people in the way of Jesus completely expands because Peter and these other Jews are scratching their heads going, you also sense the Spirit of God? You also recognize the new creation? You recognize the resurrection? Let me tell you about this. And they begin to exchange the story, and it expands. 
At every point when we're doing our work, we're wondering how does this work fit with the wider piece? So you create something, you, put, you take that risk, you listen and see how does the audience relate to it, and then you have to kind of situate it within kind of another place and go, oh, I used to think she belonged to that category, but now she belongs to this category. Huh, what about that? And it keeps kind of shifting like that. It's kind of like the balance, again, of form and function, or the balance that you find in any kind of design, where there's a space that is both negative space and positive space, and both of them are very valuable. They draw on one another. So you don't want to say, like, oh, I'm all about negative space, because that's where it, it's really more like, how does this accommodate for the positive space? How, do they, how are they relating to each other? All right, let's go to this last one here. So you do this work of moving from dreaming to hovering or focusing to a place of taking a calculated risk and then moving to a place where you can listen to that risk and how it has responded in the environment and then moving to a place where you go from risk back to, uh, I mean, from listening to a place of reintegrating that and then there's a place of rest where you can step back from your work and push away and recognize some of this momentum is going to carry itself. So, you know, God has done all this work in this, the narratives we have of creation in the first, Genesis, first two uh, narratives in Genesis, and then in Job you kind of get a, another take on this. And on all of those you have these places where God is drawing things out, pulling them into this and, and seeing how they fit, and this has a re- the sky has a relationship with the bird, and the earthworm has a relationship with the soil, and the water has a uh, relationship with the land. All of these are there, and then there's this place where God steps back and rests, Right? These slides are buggers, aren't they? <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. So I want us to think about our work now and how that might be similar. So begin and think about where is the space in your life that you dream. These are the, the open spaces. Last night, that was one of the, uh, one of the songs that she, she was over here singing. She was like, the space is open. The spa- you could hear her say it. Open the space. Open the space. Where are the open spaces? And this is, I think, they, they aren't dissimilar in your spiritual practices and in your creating work. In fact, I would argue they're pretty much the same type of work. We just, we just have to learn how to integrate the two of them. So how is it that you sit down and go, I don't even have a canvas yet. I don't, haven't picked out my colors yet. I don't have a story I want to tell with this yet. I'm going to just take a walk. I'm going to be in a space that's open. Henry Nouwen would say that discipline in the Christian life is the act of making space in which God can act. Space in which you're neither occupied and certainly not preoccupied. So where are you making space? Just clearing space. And this is pretty simple. This is as easy as, um, this isn't the same as journaling or memorizing Bible verses or taking lists of prayer requests or coming and serving at church or singing up front in front of folks. It isn't any of those things. Those come later. This is an unforced open space where you're breathing, where you're present. I won't get far into it, but we perceive and interact with the world in at least three different ways. Intellectually, and then from our heart and our vulnerability, and from our gut, the resonance we have with the world. Where are all three of those open And then here's a crazy part, and this is all about grace and why I keep saying the flywheel of grace, because each of these steps is a grace step. 
you go, I'm free right now to be completely non-judgmental about the outcomes of these next, this next 15 minutes. I'm free right now to, to be in the space where God's presence abides. I'm free right now to understand I'm a creator and a dreamer, but even those aren't my total story. I'm just free. And then you move and go, I'm going to grab this canvas and these three pigments, and I've got this much time, and here I go. Now, that's a very focused sort of thing. I'm really passionate about justice work in the world. And I think one of the biggest challenges for activists, I don't know if that, if, how many of y'all will fit in that realm as well, but one of the biggest challenges for activists is to go, this is the challenge that's in front of me at this moment. This is what I'll work on. I can't change the whole world today, but I've got my family right here, and I've got this issue that's landed on my doorstep, and I'm learning about this through Facebook with this friend I had never thought brought any, would bring any new information into my life, and now I want to know what should I do about this, and for this moment, I can focus on that. And it's, the bracketing is what it's a lot of times called in the academic world, but just where you focus and go, I'm going to focus right there and hover over that, because God wasn't hovering over David and going, the Spirit of God wasn't ho- hovering over David saying, and the rest of y'all are SOL. Like, the Spirit of God was everywhere, but at that moment, to that story, to those people, to that minute, it was obvious God's Spirit was doing something there. It's okay for your Spirit to do something right there. Just for that moment. There's a grace in that. You don't have to do everything. Do that right there. Show up every morning. Do your writing. Every morning. And then the risk... You know, Peter does this, does this brilliantly, right? We know the story of Peter jumping out of the boat because he, he sees Jesus, right? And then he says, Lord, call me to come to you, you know? And he, and he steps out of the boat and he's taken that risk. And he falls and he's lifted back up. And all of that is the risk. And all of that is the learning experience. It wasn't like Peter was in flow with the Spirit and then the Spirit left Peter, the Spirit was just drowning with him. You know, like, like they, they, right? The, God was present in all of that, but there was a learning about that flow. Um, it's, in some worlds, it's kind of how the fake it till you make it, you know? Like at a certain point, Tori had to sit up here with a song and go, I'm, gonna, I'm taking this song out there. Here we go. And, and didn't know if everybody was going to be like, oh, yeah, this is great. Like, you have to taste, test it out there in that space. All of that kind of work, that's the natural work of the artist. Um, is taking that risk, that type of courage. And again, it's all about grace because it's not that you're changing the world. It's that you're participating in the change of God's dreams that originated all the way there at the beginning. You're just in flow with that. But then you do have to get out of just the um, crazy risk. I, th- I think the hipster, hipsters are addicted to risk. And we haven't learned yet how to listen. Because you have to step back from your project long enough and go, how is this playing in my neighborhood? This is a huge challenge to church planters. It's where I've spent a lot of my time is with, uh, with, with folks that will go and plant a church in a community because they want to change that community. And then like, they look up like three years later and, and ask the community what they think. And they're like, oh, I, there's a church over there that takes up our parking on Sunday. Like, it's, like the, the relationship with that church and the community's everyday life, it just doesn't ring a bell. Um, I tell a story in the book, um, uh, one of my songwriting heroes is David Wilcox, and, uh, and I was at a, uh, it was in Cincinnati actually, this was well before we lived there, and uh, we, uh, 
I was practicing for a gig that night. He happened to be next door, um, and we'd met for, uh, before that a little bit. But then he kind of came over, and, uh, and we started talking and passing the guitar back and forth. One of those times where you, you, know, you really admire a certain artist, and you get to talk about your craft together. And then I played a certain song for him, and he kind of goes, who's that song for? And I was like, well, you know, I, I was kind of angry at the time. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm like, and he's like, well, yeah, I understand that it's for you, but who's that song for? And at a certain point, what I realized was I had no appreciation that the song had a relationship with the audience. And uh, depending on, and this, and this was kind of one of those dilemmas between like secular or Christian audience and that kind of stuff, but it can be with all sorts of work that we do. What is the relationship that I have with you today? And how do I flex when I see what is catching and not catching? How are we actually learning as a room? Not just, me lear- not just you learning from me, but how are we learning as a room right now? That type of listening. And it really begins with the type of work that Mother Teresa was talking about. The freedom to listen with God um, translates into that kind of freedom with one another. Because one of the things you notice, that, um, Meister Eckhart would say this, the eye through which I see God is the eye through which God sees me. And that's a crazy one, huh? The eye through which I see God is the eye through which God sees me. And I think among the many things that that crazy poet was after was that, the, uh, that if our aperture is tight and we aren't listening for what else is happening in the world, then that's as much God as gets through to our head as we're translating our experience. So do we have spaces where we're going, what, what are you saying, God, through this person I would never expect to hear from? What are you saying through this material? So a potter sits down, right, with the, uh, with the clay, and she grabs the slip, and she pushes it in on, a, on the, or spinning it on a wheel, right? And, and the clay begins to tell her what this will be. There's this interrelatedness. How much of our work, even our faith work in relationships that we're in, in our community and our family, how much of it is mutual like that? Do we really trust that the medium will teach us, that the others that we're with have as much to say as our own passion about what we're bringing to this relationship? The mutuality that comes, and, and slowly you can kind of feel the vessel turn into a vase because it's kind of it's responding, right? So we, move, we have to do that same work. We have to move from dreaming to hovering and focusing and risking and then listening to the outcomes of that risk. And then we have to integrate. We have to kind of go, how does this fit back together with a whole? This is really a challenge because a lot of times we're, uh, as churches and as the Christian tradition, especially the Western Christian tradition, we build things with the presumption that they must last forever. And so when the new moment comes, when the new day comes, we don't know how that's going to fit with this, and so we just cram it in there. And it's like the worst graphic design ever. Have you ever seen high schoolers make a magazine? You know, like they get into Photoshop and they just... And it's like, there's no open space, there's no, you know, there's a few exceptions, right? But it's where you learn, where they're learning. And just, you're like, oh, it just, it's not cohesive at all. You know, I've had a couple albums like that, where it's like, why is that song in there? You know, like, it's like, it's just like, it, it's got to be kind of a, share, a collective experience. And with that, again, it takes grace to go, that was a great song, but that one's not going to fit on the album. This is a great dream, but that one's not going to fit into the next 10 years of our life. And in, in the freedom to kind of take that step um, or to go, wow, I never imagined that I showed up here to be a part of something. I thought I came here to be in charge of something. So you move to a neighborhood, uh, and I've seen this play out a number of times, and you start a community association. 
only to find out that there's already a community association <laughs> that you were supposed to join and slowly, you know, do the work and then become kind of one of the leaders and influencers and understanders. We don't have to start it, you join it. You see that working? So then you move to that last place, which is what? Rest. All right? So you move from dreaming to hovering to taking a, just a quick risk to listening to that risk to reintegrating what you've learned with that risk and then to the place of rest. We're going to talk in the workshop later about time, space, and matter, but all of those get to rest during Sabbath. So you look in the Old Testament and there's great stories about cattle resting and the land resting. Like, what? And then there's years and kind of seasons of years and years that are designed for rest. So the stuff you're working on all of it comes to a, ah, I'm not connected to it. We're all connected to the work of God's abundant love. So uh, last night we were talking, um, and uh, John O'Donohue is an Irish poet, uh, had a background as a Catholic priest. Uh, uh, one of the things he has said is that um, stress, I've got everybody's attention, right? Stress is the Western word for our, a Western word for a perverse relationship with time. Stress is a word for a perverse relationship with time. It's really hard when you're in traffic and you've got to get to that other place. And so you feel this stress. It moves from your body up into this place of your head where you're trying to control the situation. And you think if you make that little shortcut, it'll be better. If you think you tell your kid to be quiet because you're trying to focus. And if you think, like you just manage each of that. But the truth is you're, it, you've, you've still got to get to A to B. It's going to take as long as it's going to take. And the halo is over that time too. And that's the time we're all in. So rest, Sabbath, is that place where you take all of the materials all of the time, all the space, and you move it, you just move it out, and you make space again. So we're always God's creation, and we're always God's commissioned artist, but rest is one of those places where you're like, oh, I'm being formed, right? And there's this work, like the journaling and kind of listening. There's a discipline I really appreciate called examine. It's spelled like examine, but with an E at the end, so you get to say examine. Um, <laughs> But what's interesting about this practice, and you can look it up or I, I can tell you more about it later sometime, um, is, uh, is at the end of the night you go, you go, what has my body been telling me in the last day? When did I notice like, whoa, or oh, like, when did I notice that? And then you begin to ask, what are the forgivenesses that I'm withholding? And what are the things that I need to confess? But then you move those away too. And then you go, what is my lingering question? You do that a couple weeks in a row and you realize that lingering question, it's crazy. It keeps forming and you're like, whoa. I want. And it goes all the way to this place of like, dwell in the presence of God with gratitude. And that's how examen ends. One of the best stories for this, I think, is, uh, is Jesus as he's walking into, uh, into one of the gates with the disciples, and there's a blind man. Um, we find out later his name's Barnabas, right? And Barnabas is saying, uh, um, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And, uh, and Jesus is like, yeah, I, I've got stuff I'm doing. And, uh, and he just keeps yelling that. Jesus, and so finally he's like, bring this guy to me or whatever. And so he brings him, and he says, uh, what can I do for you? 
That question is always happening, but Sabbath is one of those weird places where you step back and go, huh, what can you do for me? And out of your body, into your vulnerable self, and out of your head and your mouth, you begin to write down, oh, I desire this. I desire, and you recognize your desire. And you recognize God's presence in the midst of that desire. So you know how a flywheel works, right? Do you? Okay. So a flywheel is, uh, is inside of a lot of, it's a complex machine. And the idea is that, uh, is that you push something and, uh, and it begins to start another thing spinning. And you push it again and it starts that next thing spinning. And what it is, is instead of being perfectly matched cogs that always do this, there's a, there's a, a soft side on the cog so it can only make it build momentum. So the best example I've got in my house is my son has a little race car that the, um, the what's that called in the back of a race car? Not a spoiler, but a, the, the fins, you know what I mean. But you pull that down, and it goes, you push a button, it goes, it takes off, because it's building up that, it builds it up. That's what a flywheel is, it builds up. So this practice of moving from dreaming to hovering to risking to listening to reintegrating and then to resting, you can do this in half an hour, and you can do it for a lifetime and look at it in the big sense and go, wow, my 20s were the dreaming years, and my 30s were the hovering, whatever that, you know, but you can look at that, but every time it's the same flywheel where at each point you go, the grace of God is enough to carry this momentum, so I can take these risks or I can move into the uncomfortable place of listening, or I can move into this place of integrating this and participating with the whole. And so you just take little steps. In the design world, it's called rapid prototyping. So before the iPhone, there was, uh, there was hand, um, what were they called, handspring? Remember those little things? They were, a, a few folks, they were kind of plasticky. Am I saying that right, handspring? But they, um, and the way they designed the, this was they basically had a block of wood and told the designers to carry that block of wood with them in, through their life and just write down what they wished it would do. So they would just go like, oh, it'd be great to have my calendar on this. You know, like we were like, of course you have a calendar on there. But in the 80s, I don't know, um, you know, it'd be like, oh, it'd be great if it could be a phone. Well, we don't, know, have, we don't have enough cell phone power to do that yet. But they kept writing on this and they kept designing it and it, they would just try it. And then they'd make a quick prototype and they'd go, can it do this or can it do that? So all of that is this, these short little risks so if you're going to go to a workshop today in an area that you don't have any experience in, the songwriter or a dancer or a, uh, um, what are some of the other workshops in? There's poetry, um, painting, yeah, and then kind of working, yeah, marketplace. There's a, yeah, so a lot of us artists do all this other kind of risk, but we never really like risk opening Excel, right? So <laughs> we never risk getting an accountant, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but all of this plays back through. You, you, go, you take just a little risk and try it and just listen to it and go, how would, it, how would this work? We'll just try this for a little while. Um, and you can go through that same process. Um, each of them kind of listening for this abundant love of God, how it fits together. This has been the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. We'll see you next time.